these days, it's easy to know what people are against and what they're for. In our new City First Church series, Jesus for the People, we'll be answering the questions, what is Jesus for and who is Jesus for? Here's the spoiler, the good news. Jesus is for you. And that changes everything. All right, come on, let's give Jesus a huge round of applause. Can we do that? He is for us, and that is something that uh, we need to be extremely and eternally grateful for. I wanna say hello to everyone here at City First. I wanna say hello to Cape Coral. Come on, let's give a round of applause to our Southwest Florida location. Also, God Behind Bars. All the gentlemen at God Behind Bars, both at Hardy and Dixon, we love you. And everyone here at Spring Creek in the State Line location, hello. And everyone joining us online, we realize that the vast majority of you are joining us right now via an electronic device. And we just wanna say thank you so much for being a part of our City First Church family. We love you, and uh, man, we are just so happy to be together. Uh, we're in this series that is called Jesus for the People, and uh, like what you just heard, many times we hear about what God is against. Well, in the series, we're talking about what Jesus is for, and I want you to know, once again, Jesus is for you. He's for you. Now, I want to let you in on a secret, all right? This is a secret. I'm sure many of you do not realize this, but this week we have a presidential election. Did you know that? Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> being a little tongue-in-cheek there because we all know that. I've said that almost every week of this series. It is in our grill. It is in our faces 24-7, whether we are online reading a physical newspaper or talking to people at work or at school. We know that there is this election that is coming up. And I would just say, as your pastor, and I said this before, but I want to say it again, realizing that new people are joining us every week, we want to just say as, as a church that it is important for you to vote, all right? It really is. This is a privilege that, quite honestly, a lot of people in our world do not have this privilege, and we must steward this privilege well. So therefore, please vote. If you haven't voted already, vote. Even if you have to stand in line, I realize that voting on Tuesday may be a little bit crazy, but I just want to just say, please do it. It's very important. And if you consider yourself a Christ follower, I would say this, that you vote according to the values that are found in the Word of God. You don't vote according to your feelings. You don't vote according to cultural thought. You, you vote according to the faith that is founded in the values that are found in the Word of God. And so I, I realize that neither party totally embody all of the biblical values that we adhere to. However, the Holy Spirit will lead you. I believe that. And I would ask that you would vote according to the values that are found in God's word. On Wednesday, we have a first Wednesday, and I just think it's amazing. It's the day after the election. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna gather together at this location, also our Cape location, and we're gonna have a time of worship. I have a word that I'm gonna share with you guys that I've been saving till after the election. And then also, 
we are going to uh, take a time and we are going to pray. Pray for not only the needs that are in our church, but also to pray for our nation. How many of you realize that prayer moves the hand of God? Come on, right? Prayer moves the hand of God. So at the end of the day, um, Jesus is for the people. And by the way, he is the perfect representative. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He does not get elected in or out. He is the supreme authority of the universe. And today, I want to talk for our final message together that Jesus is for those who are weird. You heard me right. Jesus is for those who are weird. Now, I, I realize some of you might say internally, praise God, because you fall into that category, all right? But today, I want to talk about the weirdness that we are to have. And I'm going to define that in a minute. I realize some of you are like going, this is a very strange topic. Just stick with me for the next 30 minutes. And I promise you that it will make sense. But everyone thinks that they are totally normal and everybody else is weird, right? Until you leave home and maybe you go to college, you have a roommate, um, you get married or whatever. And all of a sudden you realize what you thought was normal maybe isn't normal. In fact, even this week, I heard of some interesting, weird things that people eat. Like, for example, Cheetos and milk together. Or how about peanut butter and pickles? Or frosted flakes and cheese? Um, I, I had somebody, we were, we were actually sitting down for dinner, and I had somebody tell me that one of the best things, that one of the best snacks that they eat is they get popcorn, like microwave popcorn, they pop it in the microwave, they open up the bag while it's steaming, and they pour in a box of Mike and Ike candy, all right, Mike and Ike's, and then they shake it together, and it becomes all gooey and such like that, and they're like, this is the most amazing treat, and I'm like, who invents this stuff? I mean... This is probably because of COVID, everybody is like experimenting at home with all of this stuff. I remember growing up, my parents used to eat fried liver. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Do you know what the liver does? Like, I mean, I was in, I was in like biology class, all right? No way. There's also things that people do that's a little bit weird. And for those who got married, maybe some of you, you married someone who squeezes the tube of toothpaste from the middle, all right? I mean, who does that? That is so weird, right? You got to squeeze it from the end. Or, you know, Lisa Seaton, who uh, is one of our executive pastors, she said this week that her mom used to store cereal in the refrigerator. And then she went to college and she realized that nobody stores cereal in the refrigerator, right? Or for those of you that put the toilet paper on the roll and you have it go under rather than over, right? Oh, the humanity. Oh, the humanity. Or for those of you that own cats, that's just weird, all right? I, can I be honest? I know, I know. I mean, some of, you, some of you dog lovers are applauding right now, right? Well, talking about strange pets, there is a family in Leeds, England, the Hewitt family, and they actually are a rescue family. They rescue strange pets, and so they live, no joke, with 80 different types of animals ranging from two monitor lizards to six bearded dragons, four boa constrictors, two pythons, two giant tortoises, a cane toad, whatever that is, four tarantula spiders, various rodents, an African gray parrot, two meerkats, two raccoons, and a skunk, just to name a few. Now, if you've ever been to England, the homes there are not that big. So, you know, it's like a thousand square foot flat and they have like 80 of these animals. I'm telling you, that is weird. Today, we're going to talk 
about being a little weird. I love what Pastor Craig Groeschel, he's a pastor of a, a great church that's based in Oklahoma called Life Church. And uh, he, he said this one time about being normal, because we always try to be normal. We don't want to be weird, right? That's kind of like a, a rule of thumb. Well, this is what he said about being normal. Normal people are stressed, overwhelmed, and exhausted. Many of their relationships are at best strained, and in most cases, just surviving. Even though we live in one of the most prosperous places on earth, normal is still living paycheck to paycheck and never getting ahead. In our oversexed world, lust, premarital sex, guilt, and shame are far more common than purity, virginity, and a healthy married sex life. And when it comes to God, the majority believe in him, but the teachings of scripture rarely make it into their everyday lives. Simply put, normal isn't working. Normal isn't working. Today I want to talk to you about being weird because if you follow Jesus, you are going to think different, you are going to live different, and you are going to act different. And I want to talk about that. You know, it is not by chance that I have saved this message for the Sunday before the election. I'm telling you, I am saving it on purpose for today because I believe this week we're going to see a lot of normal things. Normal things like division and animosity and fear and hurling insults and, f and all kinds of things that will be in our culture. We are going to see very normal things. And what I want to do is I want us to be a little abnormal, a little weird, you could say this week, because I don't think, I don't think normal is working. There is a, a, an old saying, in fact, I've preached it for years in youth ministry and, and even in uh, being the senior pastor now, the church, and this saying is an ancient saying. It says this, to preach always when necessary, use words. Now, uh, some of you might even have this on a plaque at home or on a picture or something like that. And it is attributed to a saint by the name of St. Francis of Assisi. But here is uh, something that's a little startling. He didn't say it. <laughs> Fake news. He didn't say it, all right? Instead, this is what he actually said. He actually said, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. I think that's a very, very powerful statement. Regardless of what he said or didn't say, I think what he's driving home is this, is that our actions and our words need to line up. Because if our actions and our words or our lifestyle and our words do not line up, that's called hypocrisy. And we get the word hypocrite from the Greek word that basically means actor. In other words, when they would go to an open-aired amphitheater back in the ancient days, or they'd go into what we would now call a theater, they would see actors or stage players on the stage, and those people were called hypocrites. So in today's world, it would be that everyone who lived in Hollywood is called a hypocrite. I'm not going to go there. But my point is, is this. It's just another word for actor. That's all it is. It's just another word for actor. And so we need to realize that the loudest sermons of our life are basically preached every day at work, at school, in our families. When we die someday, when we are in the casket and they are having a memorial service for us, our friends and family are not going to gather around the casket and talk about all the things we said as much as what we did. For example, 
they will say things like, he's a compassionate person, or she really loved people, or he was very generous, or she was bold and fierce, or he made me laugh. They're not going to say, well, she talked about being bold, or he talked about being generous. You see, our life is our pulpit. And I'm going to tell you right now, whether you're watching online at one of our other locations or right here at Spring Creek, I'm telling you, you all are pastors. I'm not the only pastor in the house today. You all are pastors. You just don't maybe have a little certificate or went to seminary for it, but this is the thing. You all are pastors because you are preaching a sermon with your life every single day. And is it weird? Is your sermon a little different? Is it, is it a little odd compared to what's going on in culture? I hope so. And here's the reason why. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to live different. You're going to act different. You're going to think different. And so I want to talk for a moment about the first 300 years of the church. Like I'm talking right after Jesus dies, is resurrected, ascends from the dead, goes to heaven. And for the first 300 years, what we now call the church, it was kicked off by a guy by the name of Peter, one of the apostles. And then through the generations for the first three centuries, it began to grow and grow and grow and grow. In fact, some historians believe it grew as much as 40% every decade. And it grew and grew. The odds are against us being here today. Do you understand that? I want mean, you to think about this, that there was a man by the name of Jesus who lived in the Middle East before there was the internet, before there was CNN, before there was MSNBC or Fox News, before there was social media, Facebook, or anything else, before there were newspapers or any way of communicating in that fashion. And what he talked about, his teachings, we're still talking about 2,000 years later, it has created a worldwide movement that billions of people throughout the last 2,000 years have been a part of. Think about that. That is, the odds are against what we call the church. It should have never happened. It should have died somewhere along the way. But for the first 300 years, it grew daily, the book of Acts says. In fact, there are ancient writings that said that it would grow day by day, and it would increase more and more and more. And that's actually out of a second century writing that I just quoted. There was a church father by the name of Tertullian who, who lived in northern Africa. And, and during the third century, he said this of the northern Africa cities. He said that the men that were in northern African cities were predominantly Christian, which means more than 50% of the men that lived in these cities were Christian. What's the third century came around? Millions and millions and millions of people became Christians and followers of Jesus. I mean, I, it, it, we shouldn't be here, is my point. But something made the church grow. What is crazy is for the first 300 years, there were some real disincentives to becoming a Christian. Like, for example, if you became a Christ follower and that became public, you could truly be persecuted for it. I realize sometimes we talk about in America that, oh, we're under persecution. Can I just say something? As Americans, we don't even know how to spell persecution. Compared to... Places in the world today where people are literally being martyred for their faith or for the last 2,000 years, and especially in the first 300 years of the church, people were being crucified. They were being drawn and quartered. They were being burned. They were being tortured for their faith. In fact, if you got water baptized in the first 300 years of the church, you know how we do water baptism on the stage here? We get a pool and, and we do this at Cape 2 and we celebrate and the music kind of, you know, the band strikes up and we cheer for everybody. Well, that's not how it happened in the first 300 years. 
If you got baptized in the first 300 years of what we now call the church because there was persecution, you were basically signing a death certificate. If you went public with your faith, there's a good chance that you could be martyred. There was no like, hey, bring your friends to church Sunday. Because if you did that, if you brought a neighbor, they may rat you out and the whole church might be in prison. Some of you might actually go to the arena and actually be put in front of wild animals to your death because of your faith. It was very different in the first 300 years. There were some real disincentives. There were some real reasons to not be a Christian, you could say. So what made it grow? I mean, why did it like explode? I mean, even in like 68 AD when Nero, uh, a Roman emperor, was, was, was killing thousands of Christians. In fact, we believe that Nero was the one that actually had Paul martyred and beheaded, like the Apostle Paul. I mean, I mean what made it grow? Well, I'll tell you what made it grow is that people lived differently. They lived differently. And it became a piece or a item of curiosity to those people that were around them who wanted to know about this new faith, this faith that made them willing to endure persecution, willing to live differently, willing to do things that culture was not doing. In other words, living by the code and the teachings of Jesus himself. In fact, in 250 AD, the church is having all kinds of problems, just normal problems like all churches have. And on top of that, get this, in 250 AD, there was a pandemic in Northern Africa. A pandemic. You ever been through one of those before? <laughs> a pandemic. And so the Bishop of Carthage Basically, basically he, uh, he was writing this letter to the Christians in Northern Africa trying to encourage them. And I want to read for you what the bishop said. He said this. He said, Beloved brethren, we are philosophers not in words but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom not by our dress but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. Listen to this last line. We do not speak great things but we live them. We live them. In other words, we start to see in these ancient writings of the first 300 years of the church that they didn't have a missions program in the church. They were the missions program. That they lived in their everyday life, whether they went to school, whether they ran a business, whether they went to work, wherever they went, they lived differently. They were weird you could say, according to their culture. They stood out from their culture. In fact, in short, I'm quoting here a, a book by a, a guy by the name of Alan Kreider, who's a PhD um, from Harvard, who studies church history. He says this, they multiplied because the faith that these Christians embodied was, what's that word? Attractive to people who are dissatisfied with their old cultural religious habits. In other words, they were going to the pagan temples and they were worshiping their pagan gods and yet they saw these Christians and they had an attractive spirituality. In fact, you may not know this, but this is actually a core value, a staff core value. To work here at City First, one of our core values is you have to be spiritually attractive. In fact, I even talked about it this week during staff chapel, that you must be spiritually attractive. You know why? There's a lot of spiritual, unattractive people out there. 
In other words, that their spirituality does not draw people in. Rather, our spirituality, our walk with God, hopefully makes people curious and draws them in that our love and our life and our grace and our attitude and the way we act at work or at school is different and it makes those that are non-Christians wonder what's up. You see, that there's an attractiveness to our spirituality. So back in the first 300 years, these non-Christians saw something different in the way that Christians worked, how they treated others, how they ran their businesses, how they showed compassion to the poor, to the imprisoned, how they loved their neighbors, and even this, okay, even this, how they responded to difficulty and hardship. Here's one of the weirdest characteristics of the first 300 years of the church. They responded to pain and hardship differently than everyone else in their culture. See, some of us are going through a really rough time right now. And I will tell you that this tough time, this difficulty, can be your greatest sermon that you've ever preached with your life. Because everyone can have faith when things are easy, but when things are difficult, that's when true faith is tested. And these early Christians, they did things differently. In fact, in fact, you know what? They, they live different. I, I don't like hardship. I'm, I'm just going to go on the record and say I don't like difficulty. I don't like hardship. I like my life to be easy. I like it to be comfortable. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I like there to be a blessing without a sacrifice. That, that's just me. That's my humanness, and I'm sure that I speak for all of us in here, right? I remember in 1991, it was a year after I gave my life to Jesus, I remember I became super sick. And uh, the doctors didn't know locally here in Northern Illinois what was wrong. I went to doctor after doctor. I had actually, it was kind of interesting, I had a lot of the symptoms of COVID, actually. Um, and, and yet they couldn't figure it out. Um, it was kind of like I had mono and, and, and all of kind of these different things combined. And, and um, for an entire year, I, I struggled. And, and I'm a high energy person. Jen will tell you, I'm like the energizer buzzy, a bunny. Even on my day off, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I mean, I can't, like, I can't stop. I just have like a, a, a drive. I, I love it. For me, relaxing in a day off is actually working around the house. That's just, that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not a Netflix guy. So, so this is the thing. All of a sudden during that year, I couldn't do anything. I didn't have any energy. I was frustrated. I was confused. I went to Mayo Clinic uh, for three days. They did all these tests and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I, when I was done, I remember I, I stood in my bedroom, and I'll never forget this, some of you heard the story, but I, I stood in my bedroom and I raised my fist to God because I'm you know, one year old in God at this point, I'm sick as a dog, and, and I'm like, God, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd hate to see how you treat your enemies. I remember it was one of these kind of things, and then I'm waiting for the lightning strike, you know what I mean? But I was at a low point. And why do I even tell that story? It's because sometimes hardship makes our faith um, weak. And sometimes when you go through difficult times, your faith can be shaken. And that's, that, that's something that I think all of us have encountered before, uh, regardless of what the level of difficulty was. Well, these early Christians had difficulty and persecution, but many of them, not all of them, obviously, but many of them, their faith remained strong because they trusted in God. See, really, I think this whole COVID thing, you know what it's really done? It's made us really test our trust in God. That's really what it's done. It, it, it's, it's vetted our trust. Do we really trust God? Do we really believe the songs that we sing? I'm going to have a victory. I'm going to have a victory. It's like one of those songs we sing around here. Well, yeah, you have to have a victory, but first there's a battle. 
There's a hardship. There's a setback. There's something that's uncomfortable. And, and, then, and then, yes, God brings the victory, but he only brings the victory after there's a battle, right? And so this is the thing. We love singing the song about the victory. We hate going through the battle. I hate it and you hate it. We shouldn't, we probably shouldn't love it. That's not, I'm not trying to say that we should love it, but this is the thing. In it, do we trust? Next week, I'm beginning a brand new series for the next four weeks. It's going to be called Trust Issues because some of us have some trust issues. And, uh, and you know what? Are we going to really trust God? And, and, and this would be a great one to invite your friends to and people that are far from faith. By the way, if you're watching right now, do a watch party. You know, maybe even if it's virtually on Facebook or whatever, because this would be a great opportunity to invite people to come and, and learn about what it really means to trust God. Is there a God that we can trust? Is he worthy of our trust? See, the early church was weird because they actually trusted God. They trusted him at his word. When sickness came, um, they trusted. When persecution came, they had smiles on their faces walking into prison. When gossiped about and maligned in their cities, they just remained silent. When made sport of, they didn't retaliate. And it was their weirdness that was their most powerful sermon. And so this is the thing. I'm not talking about weirdness like annoying I'm not saying we should be weird like annoying, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm talking about being different. I'm talking about being non-conforming. I'm talking about that our life and our conviction should stand out, not mirror what's going on in our culture. Can I get an amen on that by any chance, right? Because this is the thing. Early Christians and Christians in 2020, we must have a weirdness about us. Because if we are not standing out, then I wonder if we're really following the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus' teachings are upside down. Early Christians were blamed for plagues, and instead of defending themselves, they just took care of the sick. Early Christians did business in an ethical way and didn't try to cheat the customers like many businesses of that day. Early Christians went through hardship and Instead of cursing God like their pagan friends cursed their pagan gods, they just remained patient in their hardship. You know what? They were made fun of and they remained silent. They just lived out their faith. They were people of conviction. And because of that, the church grew and grew and grew. They would feed those that were discarded in their society. They would actually take care of the poor. Do you know in the Roman civilization, if you were poor, you were looked at as, as being shameful, like you should be shamed if you were poor. Instead, the Christians took care of the poor. They went and visited people in prison. Why? Because Jesus said so. See, these are the things that they did. And even during unspeakable persecution, when they are placed in arenas and attacked by wild animals, History recounts that they would walk into the arena and they wouldn't beg for mercy to whoever the ruler of that city was watching in the stands, but rather they would smile and they'd be worshiping and singing songs as they were walking in to the arena to their death. I don't understand that, to be honest with you, in 2020. Because I get frustrated if somebody says something bad about me on Facebook. And so do you. But you know what? This is what they believed. And I want you to really listen to this. They believed they could not control what was going on around them, but they could control themselves. Read that again. Think about it. They believed. Okay, give that a round of applause. I know some of you want to do that. They believed 
that they could not control what was going on around them, but they could control themselves. And it became their message, their sermon of their life. You know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, and one of the ways that we know that COVID spreads is through contact with other people. It's funny, the scholars that studied the early church, they believed the church grew for the first 300 years because they believed it was through casual contact. That's actually the words that were used by these scholars. It was casual contact. Isn't that ironic? That faith was spread through casual contact. It meant this, that if they went to school with somebody, they just had casual contact with that person who was far from faith, and that person far from faith would all of a sudden become curious. It was like their faith was contagious. You know, in a season where we're talking a lot about being contagious, we're wearing masks and we're socially distancing and we're being careful. I pray in this season of contagion that our faith would be super contagious that we would come in contact with people and they would see us navigating this pandemic differently than others. History accounts that slaves would find faith and lead their masters or their owners to the Lord, that neighbors would interact with Christian neighbors and we come saved because of just casual contact. The customers interacting with Christian business owners would find faith because of casual contact. It was weird. It was weird. It was their weirdness, ladies and gentlemen, that stood out, that became their loudest sermon. Here's a question. Are the people we interact with every day seeing a divine difference in us? Are we divinely different on Facebook with our comments? Are we divinely different on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok? Are we divinely different in how we interact with our coworkers and our fellow students? Are we divinely different in our neighborhoods? See, it's kind of quiet, and I guarantee it's quiet in every location right now, because all of us probably have a lot of homework to do, don't we? A lot of improvement that sometimes even as your pastor, Jeremy DeWert feels way too much like this world. And I have to remind myself what the Bible says in the New Testament, that we are, get this, aliens passing through this land. That's what the Bible says, that we are, here's another one, Christ ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? Ambassador is not a permanent resident. An ambassador is a temporary resident that represents another, another country. We are Christ's ambassadors. We're here temporarily, and we are representing a kingdom. A kingdom, by the way, that is eternal. The first century church, second century church, third century church, they didn't carry the spirit of this world, but rather they had a different spirit. Will our spirit be different on Tuesday? And after Tuesday, will our spirit be different? Because let's not have a spirit of division, a spirit of anger, a spirit of fear, like what will be in our nation. 
It doesn't take a prophet to predict this. Regardless of who wins on Tuesday, there's gonna be fear, there's gonna be anger, there might even be violence. Listen to me. As people of faith, our spirit must be different. Because listen, we represent an eternal king that in four years does not get voted out. See, normal isn't working. Paul writes this as we close. Paul writes, since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful, may I insert in there, normal nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new, may I insert, weird nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In this book by Alan Kreider, talking about the first 300 years, again, he had millions of dollars and a whole group of PhDs that were studying the, the history of what we now call the church. And he came up with 14 things that I'm just gonna list off real quick, okay? 14 things that were weird about the first 300 year old church. Like the first 300 years, the Christians lived this way and it was super weird in culture. All right, here it is. Number one, they met frequently. <laughs> like what we're doing today. They prayed, they thanked God and they worshiped. That was abnormal back in Roman times. Number two, they, they ate together. In other words, they, they shared a table. That reminds me a lot, those first two reminds me a lot of how we structure City First. That we are the gathering on the weekend and throughout the week, you know, through our online on demand. But then also we gather together in small groups. We gather together in life groups. So it's big and it's small. Number three, they memorize texts. Like they memorize the scripture of the Old Testament or the teachings of Jesus. Number four, they visited the poor, the sick and the prisoners. Number five, they exercise hospitality. In other words, when visitors were coming through town, they would bring them into their homes and feed them and house them, even if they didn't know them. Number six, they put money in the collection box. In other words, they gave money to the church so that the church could continue to expand. That was abnormal in that day. They, number seven, gave food and clothing to those that were in church. In other words, if there were people in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that were going through difficulty, they would help each other. Number eight, they fed the hungry. Number nine, they were truthful. And that sounds so strange, but again, millions of dollars of research that these Christians actually told the truth rather than lied. Number 10, they maintained sexual purity. Number 11, they lived a holy life. Like for example, he writes, they didn't abort their babies. They didn't kill other people. They didn't watch blood sports in the Colosseums. Number 12, they were willing to lose out in business or in lawsuits. They didn't have to always win because Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Number 13, that they, were, they allowed people to leave the church. Now that sounds very really weird. But back in Roman days, in the pagan churches, you could call them, you couldn't leave. Once you were in, you were in. If you ever tried to leave that church and take on another faith, you could be killed. And Christians believed that people were made in the image of God. And so if people wanted to leave the church, they could leave the church because they were image bearers of God and they valued life. Number 14, 
They faced death without fear. How weird, right? How weird. So I want to ask this question, and then I'm going to pray. What are some things that you know Jesus wants you to do right now that are going to make people think you're weird? How you're going to live your life? What are you going to do tomorrow at work? What are you going to do tomorrow at school? What are you going to do in your family? Because our life is our loudest sermon. In what ways is Jesus asking you to live that's abnormal, nonconformist, weird, that is maybe going to make some people think that you're weird, but you know that you're living according to the convictions found in the teachings of Jesus and in his word. You see, can I tell you that when we live weird, that's when we're living right. That's when our sermon of our life becomes something that attracts other people. Because normal isn't working, guys. Can we elevate above the election just for 30 seconds? Can we just elevate above whatever candidate you want to win? Can you not see that our entire society is cratering right now? Can you not see that we are emotionally cannibalizing each other? Can you not see that we are at each other's throats? Can you not see that this society is eroding in front of our faces? You know what is going to be the solution? Not the president that you want. The solution is going to be Jesus Christ. It is going to be us living his value system that is counterculture. It is going to be people becoming curious about how we can have hope in the midst of hopelessness. How we can love when everyone else is hating. You see, we got to rise above this. And listen, don't hear me as saying politics is not important and we shouldn't vote. I, I started this thing off by saying vote. So no, you better vote. But realize your salvation is in the person called Jesus Christ. And it is in his teaching and his way of living. And when we live like him, it's going to be a little weird. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've called us to be weird, not in an annoying way, but Lord, in a way that gives us life and life to the fullest. John 10, 10, you call us to a life that's counterculture, counterintuitive, upside down. You call us to love our enemies and pray for them. You call us to feed people. You call us to help people that are marginalized. You call us to not take offense. You call us to live with love, unconditional love, like the love you've given us. God, help us to do it. Help us to be a little weird, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody says aloud, amen. Come on, let's give God a huge round of applause.